Welcome to the Life Over Coffee podcast, conversations for transformation. Hello, everybody. This is Rick Thomas and Life Over Coffee. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode. Recently on our supporting member forums on our website, lifeovercoffee.com, we had a conversation about topical verse books. Do you know what that is? A topical verse book is a tool that some biblical counselors use when they're counseling folks. And so it is a book of topics from A to Z, uh, anger, anxiety, uh, worry, so forth and so on. And under each topic, there are verses listed so that when you're counseling someone who's struggling with a particular issue, you can go into your verse book and you can give them a verse on that particular subject. Okay, there is some merit to that. And I do want you to hear that. There, there is merit to that process that you can give them a passage of Scripture. But in the conversation on our supporting member community, I want them to think comprehensively about everything, whether it's our methodology, the things and tools that we use to help people, or whether how to think about a counselee and the problem that they present to us. We never want to be narrow-focused on anything because the Bible gives us all we need for life and godliness, and so we should have a, a wide-angle lens when we look at all things, whether it's the mechanisms and tools we use or the people that we're caring for. And so I presented the possibility that verse books could be a liability in the biblical counseling context, and I presented my case, and the conversation was really good. So I thought that I would just take what I shared with them and share it with you here. So I do want you to hear what I'm saying, that there is a place and and there is some okayness with using these topical verse index books, but there is also a liability with them as well. And I want to talk about the liability. And my primary reason, well, there's two reasons for doing this. Uh, I want to always be training biblical counselors in how to counsel well. But also, I have a a greater burden for counselees. I I have a greater burden for people who struggle. And so I, I want them to have more discernment when they're looking for a counselor to help them. They need to understand the kind of person uh, that is uh, counseling them. And so this is just one of those considerations in a a multi-thread cord. There's so many things to consider, but this is one thing that I hope that will be instructive for counselees because people who are struggling is the burden of my heart. And that's why I do biblical counseling. It's why I'm an advocate of biblical counseling, but it's also why I'm not a full-blown apologist because I do see the weaknesses in the biblical counseling movement. And these are things that we have to talk about. As I've said often, if we can't talk about what's wrong with us, whether it's ourselves personally, the church that we belong to, the movements that we belong to, well, then you're heading towards something that's like a cult. And so there should be healthy dialogue where there is pushback and hearty discussion about the things that we do. And I'm an advocate for that. And so as much as I believe in and am a proponent of biblical counseling, I also see the liabilities in the movement. And these th- these are things that I will continue to talk about. And I trust I will do that fairly. And so I want to talk about this idea. It's an, I, I, I'm going to title this episode 448, An Insufficient Method 
of giving verses to counselees. And there have been many liabilities of the biblical counseling movement, and one of the reasons is is the proliferation of training and naming average disciple-makers certified biblical counselors. That is really one of the biggest issues in the biblical counseling movement. There is no way to distinguish between uh, poor counselors, average counselors, good counselors, and outstanding counselors. There's really no way to distinguish uh, between them. If you were to go on the ACBC website, is find a counselor, but there isn't, you know, one star, two star, three star, four star. You just pick one, but you do not know what you're picking. Now, we recommend people who come to us to go to uh, that website and find a counselor because, one, we don't do counseling. We do training at our ministry, and so we don't have the resources to do uh, biblical counseling. And so we are an advocate of ACBC, but we also recommend all the time with a caveat because there's no way to distinguish. One of the arguments that's going on in our culture today is this idea of equity. And there are some people that are pushing equity. And what equity means is that everybody ends up at the same place. That's what equity means. And, And they want everybody in America, 300 plus million people, to end up at the same place. That is equity. Well, logic, common sense tells you that that is absolutely impossible. It's not possible. I mean, every body cannot be equal on a basketball court, and there's no way to make equity happen on a basketball court because people are different. And so that is not going to work. But one of the interesting thing is, is that having one label for every person that goes through training, certified biblical counseling, it actually mirrors this equity idea that's being pushed in our culture. And there's no, not only are there no distinctions between good and bad counselors, but there is no clear identification of what good average bad counselors are. And that creates a liability. So the only way that you can make things equitable in our culture is to bring everything down to a certain mean and then have crutches to raise everyone up to this same level. And of course, it doesn't work and it creates all sorts of problems. Well, in the biblical counseling movement, one of the ways that you create equity to where everybody is a certified biblical counselor is that you have to lower the bar of what a good counselor is. And one of the ways that you do that is by creating crutches, like topical verse books, for example, uh, so that these folks who do not know how to counsel well, at least at this time, they have a crutch that they can lean into so that they can uh, somewhat counsel well. Uh, but I say that 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 is not counseling well at all, which is my argument here why I don't recommend a list of topics with accompanying verses so that a counselor can have a quick reference guide to give a struggling soul. And so I want to make my case for that. But again, caveat, Some people, some folks will push back on what I'm saying while at the same time bringing anecdotal evidence to the efficacy of using tools through their personal use and counseling experience. And I will not argue your point at all. 
anyone can make a similar case for an inferior process and that they have had success through this inferior process. Uh, That happens all the time, but it doesn't invalidate the more significant problem that I'm addressing here. And so I I will give you the space and affirm that there is anecdotal anecdotal evidence to support using topical verse books. And I want you to give me the space to make my case uh, that this is an insufficient method. And also, I think it's fraught with liabilities that in some cases, in many cases, it can do damage because we're putting forth inferior counselors who shouldn't be sitting in front of a struggling soul. All right, so let me begin this way. Obviously, I take a different approach, and that's why I'm making my case here. But let me preface by explaining that what I teach is not incongruent to how I live. What do I mean by that? Well, I have been reading the Bible for a while. I've been doing memory work for years. I've been doing deeper studies all along the way into uh, God's Word. And there have been other methods and strategies and seasons of learning to add to these things here. And as I am doing these things, all of these learning practices and disciplines and memory work, I'm applying the Bible to my my life. And so my life is the acquisition of knowledge through these various means that I've mentioned to you and a few more, and the application of that knowledge to my life. And that's what I mean by the life that I live is not incongruent with how I teach people to do counseling. It's the acquisition of knowledge, the application of knowledge to your personal life, and then you take that knowledge that is applied to your life and you go and share that with another person. You see, in addition to studying the Bible and personal application, We do discipleship or biblical counseling, if you prefer. And so that creates a formula. Here is the formula. Acquiring knowledge, personal application, creates wisdom, which opens the way for you to care for others. And so the verse book, this is the short story, the verse book that you use is the verse are the verses that you have studied and applied to your life and now you can go out and share what God is doing in your life with other people as opposed to a more detached formula which is going over here and getting a a verse book and applying it to this person over here but yet you have no experience in that verse yourself in the application of that verse yourself and so what you create and i'll talk about this in just a moment it's almost well not almost it is it's a detached counselor it's a counselor who hasn't been affected by the thing that he is asking them to be affected by now you can do that you can do that but over reliance on that method is an inferior insufficient way to do counseling the way that we do counseling the way that we should the way that we should do all discipleship is we acquire the knowledge we make personal application which creates wisdom and then that opens the way for us to care for others Now, it's important that when you think through these things that you also understand that none of us struggle 
we all struggle similarly. We have, I have a graphic on our uh, website. It's called 12 Universal Assumptions. I've written an entire article on this. I teach this uh, in a class. And it's called 12 Universal Assumptions that you can make about any person. And what that graphic and what that article teaches is, is that we're really all alike. There is never a situation where God is doing something in me that is radically different from what he is doing in someone else. Now, I realize that we're all different above the, sur- above the ground. We all have unique lives and different lives, and, and there's nothing in common that I work here, you work there, you're married this person, I married that person, you have those children, I have these children. Yes, there are differences above the ground, but we counsel at the level of the heart. And so it looks like a V when you go from above the ground to below the ground to the heart. And as you're working down that V, at some point, you're going to cross a line with every human on the planet, and things are going to look strangely similar because we're all cut from the same Adamic cloth. And that's what I mean when I say that there is never a situation where God is doing something in me that is radically different from what he is doing in them. You see, the commonality that we have down here is universal, like struggles with fear and shame, guilt, fear of man, sexual-related issues, a desire to be self-reliant. There are many commonalities that we have that create unique manifestations above the ground, but again, we're counseling the heart, and when you cross that line, we're all cut from the same Adamic cloth. And so rather than giving them a verse from a book, give them a verse from you, the book, Give them the Bible according to how the Bible has affected you. They struggle with fear? Then talk them through how you have overcome fear. They struggle with guilt, regret, anger, self-sufficiency? Then walk them through using how God has affected you. That is a radical, different approach to counseling than just say, hey, I want you to uh, take this verse. Now, again, there can be moderate efficacy in giving them that verse that you have never applied to yourself. But that's really not the best way to do soul care. You see, there are two ways to give a person hope when you're caring for them. The first way is to tell them that, that God's word has an answer for you. And then second is you let them know that you are exhibit A for the very thing that you are telling them to do. God's word has an answer. I know that to be true because this is what God has done for me. Now, that person who is discipling that way, that is the person that I won't carry for my soul. A person who is a representation of an affected counselor or a disciple maker who is giving me what God has given him, as opposed to 
the person who has not had much experience, not an affected counselor, but he gives me a verse. I will thank that. I will thank that person for that verse probably, and do my best with it. But there is a radical difference in those two approaches. It's the difference between being pneumatic and mechanical. Uh, it's the merging of two truths. Pneumatic means walking in the spirit. It's the merging of two truths: God's word and your transformed life which is much different than giving them a verse. So I'm not a fan of giving verses, but I am a massive fan of giving them a life that verses have already transformed. And so I prefer the pneumatic approach, leaning into the spirit during counseling rather than using a verse book. As I plead with God, I've often said that a counseling situation, there are two conversations going on at the same time. You're talking and listening to the person that's across the room from you, and you're talking and listening to God. Oh God, oh Spirit of God, illuminate my mind. Filter through all that studying that I mentioned earlier, the Bible reading I have done, the studying I've done, the memorization that I've done all the discipleship that I have done, all of those experiences. Oh, Holy Spirit, filter through all of that data that's in my brain. Illuminate my mind and give me the words to say in this moment to that person. There is a visceral difference in giving them something pulled from your heart instead of a book. Now, also, there is a mistaken belief to think that there is a place that you have to get to to be an effective disciple maker. And it's important that you understand this because what, and I'm talking about an effective disciple maker, by the way, not an effective biblical counselor. So I'm going to make a distinction here between doing the work of discipleship, one-on-one soul care, versus in-depth, formalized biblical counseling. If you're doing formalized biblical counseling, which is what biblical counseling should be, then you should be qualified to do it, and we would not even be having this discussion. You would not be using a verse book because you will have been trained. Your competency will have been vetted out. Uh, you have will have gone through years of, of academic rigor and then also uh, practicum to where you are fully vetted as a formalized biblical counselor, but that's not how it works. You see, we, we actually practice the culture's version of equity. We just make everybody the same, and the only way we can do that is lower the bar and then create crutches so that we can elevate people who are just not good at the craft. But to be an effective disciple-maker, there are people that will disqualify themselves as, as though there is a place that you have to get to in order to care for your friend, in order to be an encouragement, to be a blessing to your friend. And that's just not true. I would encourage you to read the account of the woman at the well in John 4. Jesus met her for half a minute, and she went into the town and, and started doing soul care. She gave no thought for, wow, I'm not, 
I'm not ready yet to do this. No, what she was ready to do was to say, come see a man. She was ready to give them what she got. And that's the whole point. Discipleship is giving them what you got. And there is that visceral difference. And, and you know that there was a visceral difference. Uh, I can just imagine listening to that woman at the well when she was in the town saying, come see a man. This woman has been affected by God's word. There's something magnetic about that. There's something compelling about that. There's something that makes me want to go see a man. She gave me what she got. She gave me all she had. And that's what discipleship is, is that you are consuming God's word through the various means of grace that God provides us uh, to do that, reading the Bible, memorizing the Bible, doing exegetical studies, applying the Bible all along the way, creating wisdom, and then we just go out and share that. That is effective discipleship. You see, what we don't want are detached counselors. I talked about this earlier. It's a mistake that a book can cause. It can make us detached counselors because we're giving them information that we may or may not have been transformed by. And we see that, not just in biblical counseling, you see it in the pastorate. People do a very similar thing. They learn the craft of exegesis. They, they learn the craft of crafting a sermon. They, they learn homiletics, and, and they can deliver a sermon, but they are detached from the sermon that they are delivering. By the way, you can tell the difference between a person who is giving you information from the pulpit and a person who's been affected by the information that he has given and there is a world of difference, and it is as, it is as though the Spirit of God is, is, is meeting the Spirit of God in that person, and, and you're just connecting on a deeper spiritual level because that person is affected, and you're hungry for God's Word from a person who's been transformed by it. And then you have informational speakers. And they're giving you great information, and this will go back to the anecdotal evidence that I was talking about earlier. You say, well, people cannot be saved from an informational speaker. No, absolutely they can. God's Word can go forth. But is that the best way for God's Word to go forth? Are there liabilities inherent within that process? Well, of course they are. The character of the preacher matters. We see so many fallen preachers in our culture today because they truly were not affected by God's Word, but they were good at presenting it, and we popularize them because they're good at presenting it. Well, biblical counselors can be the same way. And so if we're using mechanisms like verse books rather than the book, us, the, the epistle, the letter that God is writing, then we can become a detached counselor, and, and that is a danger. There's another danger, too. Using a crutch can settle our insecurities. Let me decode that for you. It can create self-reliance. 
as a way to settle our insecurities. I'm going to use this, a self-reliant method, to accomplish something because I am insecure. I'm fearful from sitting in front of a person and giving them my life and walking them through how God has been working in me. And so I'd rather use a self-reliant crutch instead that will settle my insecurities. Well, what are we doing? We're trying to compensate for our insecurities. Do you want a, a counselor counseling you who's trying to compensate for their own insecurities? If they haven't worked through their insecurities and they haven't worked through these fear issues at this point, they have no no business being sitting, sitting in front of someone doing formalized biblical counseling. They have yet come to the place where they applied God's word to themselves in such a way that they can help someone who struggles with fear. Now imagine that they have worked through their insecurities, their fear of man, and they're counseling somebody who struggles with insecurity or fear of man. Well, they're not going, hey, I want you to read Proverbs 29, 25, fear of man lays a snare. That'd be a good verse for you. Now, I haven't worked through it myself, and I'm using this because I'm insecure myself and afraid myself. But imagine that they have overcome their fear, and they're counseling somebody who struggles with fear. Hey, I want to give you a verse. It's Proverbs 29, 25, and this is what God has done in me, through me, for me. And I want to walk you through that right now. Now, you have to see that that is worlds apart. The detached counselor versus the affected counselor, who is the counselor who's been affected by God's word. We do not want to be detached Christians. We don't want to be detached disciple makers. We don't want to be detached counselors. We must be affected believers, affected by God's word and a practical passion for sharing it with other people. And so at our ministry, as I said earlier, that my life models, it's not incongruent with how we teach. I have to keep consuming God's word memorizing it, hiding it in my heart, and applying it regularly to myself, to my wife, to our children, to other people within our world. I have to live out God's word. And then I do the work of discipleship. It's not incongruent. I'm being affected. And then out of that, I want to pray that God would use me to affect others. That's how we train. Folks who go through most training are directed to these tools. And that is, in my view, a considerable weakness of their training. It's pragmatic. It's providing a tool to fulfill a purpose. It should be one transformed life hoping to impact another life transformingly. Thus, the best tool is the disciple using God's word in proportion to how they have been transformed by it. Let me give you an illustration of what I mean. You have a salesman who is selling stuff. He's using tools and training that he was given to sell stuff. And then you have the salesman who has firsthand knowledge of his product because the product has affected his life. It's sitting on his shelf at home. It's half full because he uses it all the time. Now imagine you're on the listening end of these two salesmen. 
You can easily discern the difference between them and quickly conclude which one you want to listen to. The one who is selling stuff with big teeth (laughs) or the one who has been affected by the stuff that he is selling. Now, I understand the tug in our own souls to use a book. Because as I mentioned earlier, that's that insecurity that we can have when we're sitting in front of someone. It's like, oh, I'm fearful and I can't do that. I, I get the tug. And I also understand the anecdotal evidence supporting this approach. Still, there is something objectively transcendent when someone gives themselves the book that God is transforming which is their life. One other thing, there is a misguided assumption that giving a person a verse is necessary and is a good approach. It's not true. Go to Acts chapter 8, around verse number 32. You'll see a man with God's word opened up, reading Isaiah, and as Philip uh, discerned, he didn't understandeth what he readeth. There is no magic in Bible verses. If there were magic in Bible verses, then we would just dispense them willy-nilly, and we would see transformation on a grander scale than what we do today. No, transformation happens in technicolor. When a transformed disciple is counseling the word to a hungry heart, even if the only thing that the discipler can say is, come see a man because that's all she knows. Still, her knowledge is far beyond a verse from a book. She has met the word at the well, and that word has transformed her heart at that well. So when she says something, it sounds much different than someone scrolling through a topical index to find a verse so they can give it to a person. This is episode 448, The Insufficient Method of Giving Verses to Counselees. Let me wrap up. I I just want to uh, ask you five questions, and you can self-assess how well you are doing on this process of growing in discipleship. I'll make a statement, then I'll ask a question. Number one, always be hungry for the Word of God. Question, are you hungry for God's Word? Number two, Consume it in different ways. Question, are you employing several means of grace to consume God's Word? The teaching from the pulpit on Sunday morning is a great way, but it's a passive exercise. Remember that. I'm talking about active engagement. Love the passive exercise. Yes, amen. But I'm talking about active engagement. Are you digging into God's Word? Are you hiding it into your heart? Are you tearing these verses about uh, apart exegetically. Consume it in different ways. Are you employing several means to consume God's Word? Number three, never stop applying it to your life. Question, are you a living, albeit imperfect, example of a transformed life? Are you slowly transforming? You look at the trend line, not the dips along the way. The trend line should be ever ever increasing. Number four, Always be sharing it with others. Question, are you communicating with others what God is doing in you? Now, that's how you grow in discipleship. And so you're always hungry for the Word. 
You consume it in different ways. You never stop applying it to your life. You're always sharing it with others, number four. And then finally, number five, rest in God who will do great things through you, even if all you say is come see a man out of a passionate, passionate, transformed heart. Here's the question. Are you resting in this process of watering and planting, as I've laid it out here, while trusting God to provide the growth? Thank you so much for listening. If you want to interact more with us, I would just encourage you to come to our ministry at lifeovercoffee.com. We have literally thousands and thousands of resources. We are a leadership development site. We want to grow you in the skill of discipleship. If you want to grow more into formalized biblical counseling, we would love to help you do that too. We have a mastermind program, a, a, a fully self-paced all online program to where you can learn how to disciple well, to where you can sit in front of people confidently with God's confidence flowing through you as he's transforming you and you're sharing those things with other people. God bless. Thanks for joining us. Learn more and get access to other resources at lifeovercoffee.com.